Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, Would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, March 15th, that will be the Ides of March 2013. I feel like my head is going to blow up. Details forthwith. Hang on. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We do the comparative work. Now, like I told you at the opening of the program, I feel like my brain is going to blow up. Um, and yeah, number one, um, for the occasion of the ascension of the new pope, uh, Pope Francis, uh, I've spent some time uh, working on some extended teaching uh, that I want to do here at Fighting for the Faith. They're, they're not ready to roll out yet. And in fact, you know, a lot of people don't know that when it comes to segments like that, you know, I'm working weeks ahead of time. But there's uh, let me put it this way. I got a, a Facebook message from a, uh, a listener who has a question regarding good works and how do you make sense of good works, which is a fantastic question, by the way. And so one of the things I'm doing is working up an extended teaching on the biblical position. What is what is Christianity uh, say regarding good works? How are we Christians to understand the role of good works, uh, considering the fact that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone? So I'm, I'm working on an extended segment with that and couldn't help but notice that with all, the kind of like the renewed thing going on out there regarding Catholicism, it has uh, currently it's got the spotlight and that'll eventually die down and go back to normal. Um, you know, but you got to give it a little bit of time. Everyone's gaga and they're, they're in the, uh, honeymoon phase with the new pope but you know i thought you know i it's been a while since i've <clears throat> studied primary source documents from roman catholicism and uh, in in fact i haven't really dialogued with many roman catholics in the in the past decade to be to be honest with you and so you know i pulled out my copy of all four volumes of the baltimore catechism and then i have a copy of the uh, the council of trent catechism and <laughs> man Whoa! <laughs> Let's just put it this way. Um, 
I was appalled, um, to say the least. And so um, spent a little bit of time today on uh, uh, the uh, Catholic Answers uh, website and watching some of their YouTube videos and some of their and listening to some of their radio programs, kind of thinking I might want to start throwing into here at Fighting for the Faith some segments where we do discernment work regarding Roman Catholic dogma. And I was... <sighs> I don't want to say depressed. That's not the right way of putting it. But let's just put it this way, is that, you know, everybody knows, everybody who's a Protestant knows that uh, Roman Catholic theology and doctrine is, it's a mess. And uh, that is putting it lightly. And what I found interesting is that many of the same hermeneutical errors that many evangelicals are making today are the exact same errors that uh, Roman Catholic uh, apologists and dogmaticians and theologians are making in defending Roman Catholic dogma. It's the same. It's the same strategy: out of context verses that aren't that aren't clear, trying to eisegete things into those passages that are just not there. And it's it's one of those things where it's like you know you, you realize that uh, Solomon had it right, uh, but of course he was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he wrote Ecclesiastes that there's there's nothing new under the sun. It's the same bad hermeneutics, same twisting of scripture, same taking of verses out of context, and then weaving them together in a way to make it look like they're all working together when they're not. And it's, well, so we may be uh, adding a, a feature here at Fighting for the Faith, and that is is that I, I may, uh, and I, see, here's the thing, I, I may be adding a, a, a regular segment where we'll take on some of the more bizarre Roman Catholic dogmas, and, you know, like purgatory and other things, like, you know, you know uh, perpetual virginity of Mary, stuff like that, and um, and I know that if I were to start weaving that into fighting for the faith, <laughs> that it's going to open up a can of worms. I just know it. I just know it. So it's one of those things, you know, it's it's easier focusing in on, you know, the, the, uh, the errors and problems that are going on in broader American evangelicalism, number one, I'm familiar with it. Number two, I've come out of it. Number three, it's, you know, I understand it. Whereas uh, the the ponderousness of some of these Roman Catholic doctrines in the mystery behind it is absolutely, well, befuddling. So it just, you know, just to you know, kind of let you know what, what I'm working on and where I'm going with this. Of course, you know, if you would like to chime in and, you know, put in your two cents regarding that, whether you think it's a good idea or a bad idea, I'd love to get your feedback. <laughs> just shoot me an email and uh, let me know. But, uh, yeah, I'm thinking with, you know, with Roman Catholicism in the spotlight, it might be a good idea to go back and walk through some of these things um, <laughs> because, it's a absolute train wreck. Of course, you know you, you know you got a lot of these Roman Catholics out there, even Roman Catholic theologians and apologists who who are kind of hanging on every word that the new pope is saying, and they're they're openly talking about maybe maybe he's going to affirm the Marian doctrine that Mary is co redemptrix with Christ. And <laughs> on the one hand, you sit there and you go, really serious. 
And then on the other hand, you go, yeah, you, I kind of hope you do that, you know, because that will just <laughs> make the chasm farther. It'll make it easier for people to see that one because good luck on biblically being able to defend the contact, uh, the, the idea that the, the Virgin Mary was co-redemptrix with Jesus as a result of her sufferings at the foot of G- uh, at the foot of Jesus's cross. Good luck on that cuz you know, Isaiah 53 does not say things like and the Lord has laid on him and her the iniquity of us all and and you know <laughs> and by his and her stripes we are healed and his and her sufferings we are healed and it doesn't say anything like that it, his it's one singular anyway. Oh man. It's just and you realize you know, this is one of those days where you realize Satan never sleeps. He never sleeps. Satan is in the deception and lies business, and he doesn't take a day off. I don't think he has taken a single Sabbath rest uh, since the church has started. I think he knows humans better than we know ourselves, and he knows who to pick how to twist them up and then give them confidence in their false doctrine and then send them out and get a large group of people following them. And it's the same story over and over and over again. It's as if those who want to hold to sound, historic, biblical orthodoxy, um, you, you can even, just to irk the Roman Catholics, you know, from time to time, you know, I'll, I'll say that, yeah, I'm an evangelical Catholic, you know, because I hold to the ancient, historic, universal Christian faith, you know, um, but you, you, that's just a tweaking thing. But the, anyway, the point is, is that there's nothing new under the sun. It's the same, same techniques, same faulty approaches same false doctrines, well, different doctrines, same reason as to why they're wrong, just a completely different set of them. And then you, what you end up with is a complete man-made mythology rather than biblical Christianity. And uh, Satan has no intention of leaving us alone. That's the best way I can say it, which I think is why it's right to discuss the church here, this side of Christ's return and glory to judge the living and the dead. The church is the church militant. We are... We, you think World War II lasted a long time. You know, how long do you think this war has been going on between Satan and God? Millennia. It's been going on millennia. We are just the latest generation uh, to come up in the middle of a full-blown war. It's a full-blown war between God and the forces of the devil. And we're born um, on the side of the devil, behind enemy lines. Uh, well, actually, we're part—we're not behind enemy lines. We, we're, we're on the side of Satan. And God converts us and regenerates us and 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 lists us into His cause, but man, oh man! Anyway, so I'm I'm just rambling at this point. Let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Okay, for the balance of the first hour, um, I gotta find this uh, warning here because this is one of those days where the first what's in the first hour is could potentially hurt you. Uh, it could cause you to spin off the road, end up in a retention pond. It could, you know, so take uh, every proper precaution. Let's just put it that way. We've got a Patricia King segment, um, apparently about increased favor for you and for me. Uh, then we've got a Cindy and Mike Jacobs update. We're you know, we're going to do part two of how to hear the voice of God. <laughs> this, <laughs> all I can say is what you, <laughs> I know what you're going to hear. 
And I don't want to tell you what you're going to hear because it'll spoil it for you. But what you're going to hear is going to make your head spin. And then we'll uh, and then we'll to end off the uh, the rest of the uh, first hour. We have a Rob Bell update. Um, Rob Bell, you know his new book. Uh, what we talk about when we talk about God has hit the bookshelves, and he's been out uh, making the rounds. And so he's got there's the, he's got a little bit of ink in the Christian Post today. And then I wanted to listen to his uh, um, interview on the Morning Joe program from MSNBC.com. Kind of point out to you the obvious problems here and then to round out the week so that your head doesn't blow up we're going to be listening to a fantastic sermon by pastor gervais nicholas edward charmy charmly just to end the week off on the right note so before we get started though i should probably do this warning fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities operating heavy deadly equipment playing farmville or any time-wasting brain-numbing activity for sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain drinking liquids drinking hot liquids having liquids too nearby not having any liquids nearby the following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to fighting for the faith cranial keyboard embedment syndrome sinew nasal liquid spewment disorder steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion please take proper precautions drinking straws padding and duct tape are recommended all right, time for a Patricia King update. <laughs> See if you can spot today's Patricia King Jesus using a passage about Jesus. I didn't mean to rhyme that, but... <clears throat> Here's Patricia King to discuss increased favor. I've really been praying a lot into the subject of favor because it's so powerful, and I noticed that... <laughs> Man, we didn't get far. You've been praying a lot into the subject of prayer. What does that look like? How do you pray into the something? Concerning Jesus, it says that he actually grew in favor or he increased in favor with both God and man. Yeah, it's a passage from the Gospel of Luke, yes, where Jesus was in the temple when he was 12 years old, uh-huh. And that's powerful because not only can you receive favor, but you can increase in it. You can accelerate. Oh, no. <laughs> 21 seconds. That's just all it took. It took 21 whole seconds. I mean, seriously, we're at the 21-second mark in this video. Bad start, bad start. Okay, so let me see if I have this straight. Using Patricia King's hermeneutical method, what we've come up with is that because Jesus grew in favor and status before God the Father. By the way, go back and listen to uh, this week's uh, Light Edition on Wednesday, uh, The Man of Heaven Part 2, and you'll immediately notice that there's a huge gap between somebody like uh, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson and, well, Patricia King. So Patricia King sees that, oh, Jesus grew in stature and favor. Oh, that means we can grow in that too. And so, oh, it's all about increased favor for you. The passage was about Jesus. And it's really important that we pay attention to him because he grew in stature before, because he's the sinless, spotless, virgin-born son of God. 
you know, this is kind of an important part of our redemption, of our salvation and all that kind of stuff. And I don't think that we sinful human beings, being as sinful as we are, should just somehow assume that, well, hey, look, Jesus grew in favors. That means we can too. <laughs> you know, this is not good. And I want you to get ready to receive an increase of accelerated favor in your... Accelerated favor. So he, she wants us to get ready to receive an increase of accelerated favor. What does that sentence mean? Okay, this, uh, let me go back to my standard nonsensical statements to kind of make the point. Um, this is like saying blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. Now, I understand that there's a, there's a noun and there's a verb and there's a little subordinate clause going on there, but the blue sleeps faster than Tuesday, although grammatically correct in all of its things, doesn't make any sense. So we we should expect an increased acceleration of of uh huh favor. Mm-hmm. Just because Patricia King said so. Mm-hmm. Life. Now, what happens when you're increased in favor? Yeah. Well, one of the definitions of favor is that is that you'll be approved of and you'll be liked. In other words, when, when <laughs> I'll be. <laughs> oh well, I. Oh. Maybe I should accept this ex- increased acceleration of favor. I mean, if I'm gonna, if my approval ratings will go up and people will like me, oh well. People look at you, they'll think, "Oh, what a great person!" Isn't that neat? <laughs> Sign me up. I need some of that. Or even the things that you put your hand to, they'll approve of it. Because when you have favor, it also touches what you put your hand to. Ah. It touches what you're involved in. Yeah, so you're getting this out of that verse that you just referenced from the Gospel of Luke. That's amazing. And so um, favor is awesome in that way. People will approve of you and they'll like you. Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want people to like them? I don't know about you, but I have... I have experienced rejection and favor. I like favor better. <laughs> Do tell. I've had people love me and I've had people hate me. I like love better, you know? So um, think about living your life just increasing in people's approval and having them like you. Yeah. Now, we don't live for the approval of man. We live for the approval of God. I'm glad you put that little disclaimer in there. But he says that he'll increase favor that will give us approval with 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 man and what passage is that again you know god's favor it's yeah, see again she said that god said that he's gonna he's gonna give us favor that will increase our favor with man right jesus said that a servant is not above his master and that if they killed him they're gonna persecute us you get what i'm saying um, and so, I mean, Jesus set up his disciples and with the expectation, not of them, you know, basically having a victory parade where they would, you know, march down the, uh, you know, the uh, center of town and people go, oh, the Christians are here. Oh, we've been waiting for them. We just got our Walmart last month and now we have Christians here. Oh, this is the best thing ever. Oh, Christians are the most amazing people in the whole world. We're so happy that they're finally here. You know, that's not what happens. In fact, <laughs> in fact oftentimes it's the opposite. Um, the people, uh, the, you know, Christians stand out in a way that, well, the world's not exactly happy about and they don't express favor towards us. It's quite the opposite. Are you familiar with any of the 
political happenings right now regarding the whole gay marriage thing. Yeah, Christians are getting pummeled. They're not experiencing favor by the uh, mainstream media because they're saying, at least the ones that are sticking to their guns are saying, hey, God's word says this is a sin. They need to repent and be forgiven. And that's not exactly the kind of thing that the world is sitting there going, oh, isn't that just great? Those Christians are the best things ever. You know, it's not not what's happening. Deserved and unmerited. We don't deserve it. It's just given to us. Amen. So he can give you a favor that people will like you. They don't even know why they like you. I had a, a, a flight attendant uh, say that to me one time. Said, I just like you, you know. Well, apparently you were praying right into that accelerated increase of favor. And uh, they had kept staring at me throughout the flight. And they said, you know, there's just <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> Yeah, I'll pass. If that's if what you're describing here means that people are going to be looking at me funny wherever I go, I don't want that kind of favor. Something about you. I really like you. Tell me something about yourself, you know. So I actually got to share the gospel uh, with her because... I, do you know the gospel? Something that seems to be um, <clears throat> mysteriously missing from practically every video we've reviewed of yours. Um, God gave me favor with her. Another definition of favor is uh, when you have favor, uh, you are given privilege. Uh. There's just privilege that is given to you that that isn't necessarily given to other people. And and so that so that I can like call up you know the where the next Super Bowl is going to be and say hey you know hey Chris Roseborough here man yeah I'd like to cash in some of my privilege. Can you like uh, score me a couple of uh, tickets to the uh, the 2014 Super Bowl? That'd be great. I would appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah. And. And that's really fun. I remember yeah. uh, one time when we were over in Africa with Dr. Bensonita Hosa, and we were in the Governor's Day Parade, and we got to go in his limousine and go right up to the governor's, governor's booth. It was a privilege to sit in that booth. No one else was allowed to sit in that booth. And then we got invited into the, the green room afterwards and got to prophesy over the governor and different dignitaries because it was a special privilege. We were favored to do that and to be invited into that uh, realm. So when you have God's... Well, apparently they're used to witch doctors and folks like that out there. So, I mean, that would make sense that you would be invited to do what you did. ...deserved unmerited favor. It starts activating supernaturally in your life. So it sets you up for things like that to happen. It also includes the um, uh, benefits and gifts so that when you're favored, people want to benefit you and they want to gift you. They want to bless you. They send you special little cards. Oh, yeah, this sounds so great, don't you think? Have you noticed that the, there's something missing here from this Patricia King video? I'll give you a second to think about it. It's in gifts and everything, and it's just so sweet. Yeah. You know, the favor of God is sweet. Yeah. I was just in an airport the other day. and Yeah. I walked by a store, and it had all these outfits in the store that I knew would just look fabulous on on a particular friend of mine yeah. that I favor. I favor her, and um, you yeah, know, she experienced that increase of favor because she prayed right into it, didn't she? You know, like her. In other words, yeah. but I like her so much. I thought, oh my gosh, you would love this store. Everything in it just has her name. Have you figured out what's missing yet? So I went inside the store and I had fun. I was pulling things off the, yeah. the racks. And I thought, oh my gosh, this would look so cute on her. Yeah. And I ended up buying her a gift of a beautiful outfit because I, I just. Oh, what a nice friend you are like her i favored her ah. and um that's how it kind of goes you know people are compelled to give blessing and you're compelled to give blessing to others compelled to give blessing uh-huh 
oh, maybe that's the point of this video. <gasps> so that people will feel compelled to give blessing, financial blessing to Patricia King. When favor, when the favor factor is in the equation. Yeah, the favor factor. Have you figured out what's missing yet? And another definition of favor yeah, is... Yeah. Where are you getting these definitions from, Patricia? Is when you're given an advantage or yeah, a, yeah, yeah. An, an unfair advantage, we call it. Like, for example, when we were down in Tijuana, Mexico years ago, and we were starting an outreach center, and we had people coming for a outreach within one month. And uh, so we had to get a, a place. We needed a minimum of a three-bedroom condo in order to, to put four beds in each room. And Yeah, these are fine stories. Have you figured out what's missing yet? Enough to facilitate the 12 people that were coming on outreach. And so we just thought we were going to get one. But when we arrived, we found out that there was an 18-month to two-year waiting list to get a rented place. We thought, oh no, what are we going to do? And we went into prayer for a couple of days and then our uh, team went into a uh, laundromat to do their laundry on the third night and took their guitars with them and they're singing, you know, uh, gospel music and that and, yeah. and doing some outreach while they're getting their laundry done. Uh -huh. And the owner of the laundromat was there and he said, wow, you know, I love that. I'm a Christian too. And he says, I like it that you're coming and entertaining all the people that are coming to get their laundry done. And he said... Uh, what are you doing here and how did you get here and um and so they said well have you figured out what's missing it we're here to open up an outreach center but we need a place and we don't have a place and he said well i'm a landlord i have um actually a three-bedroom house coming up available next week because the people gave me their notes they're leaving but someone's been on that waiting list for for over 18 months already and so i have to give them i promise that they would have it they were the ones that were in in line for it so i have to keep my word he said but if they don't want it i'll give it to you even though there was other people after them he didn't promise those other people the place he said i didn't promise it to them i just promised it to this one couple yeah and all of this apparently because jesus increased increased in favor and stature mm -hmm. so um he called them and they said, yeah, they still wanted it. And, yeah, yeah. and uh, so they gave the deposit. Yeah. And so we went back. I'm dying to hear the end of the story. And we were praying and saying, oh, God, could you favor them with even a better place or, or open up something else for us right away? And the next day we get a call back from the landlord. And he said, this is strange. They just called me and said that they got a call, a sudden invitation from Guadalajara for a job opportunity that was way better than what they had here and they're moving so they canceled the place so he said you can have it and so wow I mean this is that's amazing it's just like how Jesus grew in yeah it's not um <laughs> yeah you notice what's missing there the um that would be an open bible this wasn't a biblical teaching this was share your stories time with uh, Patricia King, where she got to share all of her little stories with us. And somehow these constitute a biblical teaching, a, a Christian devotional thought. Um, but it's like none of the above. It's just, well, ridiculous. It has nothing to do with Christianity or God or anything like that. And the job of real Christian teachers and pastors 
is to preach the word and to preach Christ and not themselves. That's what the apostle says. We preach not ourselves, but Christ and him crucified. Look it up. It's in 1 Corinthians. Um, And so, yeah, Patricia King apparently didn't get the memo. You're not supposed to preach about yourself and teach about yourself. It's about preaching about Christ. and, And, well, she doesn't quite get that. But that was a really interesting story about, you know, praying into increased accelerated favor and stuff like that. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we got a Cindy Jacobs update and a Rob Bell update. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Hello, my name is Joel Osteen, and I want to tell you about my latest book. Every day is Friday. I really don't know why I wrote this one, though. I was trying to come up with some ideas, and it turns out I don't have any. So that's when I started thinking of things people really liked. I was thinking of all sorts of stuff, but none of the things I was thinking were really working. My first title was, Every Day is Marshmallow Covered Rainbows, but my mama told me it stunk. And then I had one of those ideas, because somebody on the TV said they like Friday. I mean, what's not to like about Friday? There's a party every night. If your boss isn't all strict and stuff, you can be casual at work. And they's always having that 25-cent wing night down at Bubba Wings on Tuesdays. Turns out there are some people who don't seem to like the whole everyday is Friday thing and have made some not-so-nice remarks. They keep on saying things like, But Saturday is so much better. With every day being Friday, I don't ever get to sleep in or have a day off. Well, we here at Lakewood have a name for these kinds of people, and they are close-minded haters. Hey, that's my line! Uh, security, get this crazy person out of here. I'll show you who's crazy!
You can register now for the 10th annual Branson Worldview Weekend in beautiful Branson, Missouri, Friday night, April 26th, Saturday, April 27th, and Sunday morning, April 28th, 2013. Full details are at worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. That's worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. Speakers this year will include Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis. We'll also have speaking with us for the first time his son-in-law, Bodie Hodge, along with Pastor Jesse Johnson, a regular guest here on Worldview Weekend Radio. We'll also be joined by Chris Pinto with a brand new presentation. Mike Gendron will also bring a new presentation, as will Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. We'll also be joined this year for the first time at a Branson Worldview Weekend by Jason Carlson and Jared Carlson. We'll also be joined for the first time in a conference setting by Carl Tykrib. Full details at worldviewweekend.com. We have a family rate and group rate. You can go ahead and purchase your tickets now and receive priority upfront seating when you purchase your tickets now at worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. And join us April 26, 27, and 28 in Branson, Missouri. <laughs> the spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. Warning, beware of two-bit tin-penny um, prophetesses telling you to pray into an increase of favor. They just don't know what they're talking about. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. Are you a member of our crew yet? Well, if not, then uh, please uh, remedy that. Join our crew. It's a great way to support us, and we are listener-supported radio. So visit our website, Fighting for the Faith. Dot com And when you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. Click on the join our crew bu- button. And what you're doing there is you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, there's perks uh, from time to time. In fact, we're, we're getting very close to finishing uh, our next crew member perk, which is a little-known apologetic work that was, went missing for a long time by the uh, church father, Irenaeus. Fantastic. Fantastic read, good summary, catechetical summary of the Christian faith and a good overview of the Old Testament as well as a summary of uh, the historic Christian Orthodox doctrines. And you'll notice that there's a lot of <clears throat> Roman Catholic dogma missing from uh, Irenaeus's uh, little uh, apologetic work. And there's a reason for that because Roman Catholic dogma is not what 
historic Orthodox uh, Christianity believe, taught, or confess. So I, we're working on that, and, and hopefully we'll be able to get that out. I'm thinking, um, uh, yeah, uh, sometime in April. <laughs> I'll keep you posted, but we're getting close. But um, the, uh, So anybody who's a crew member, uh, when we get ready to release that, you will automatically get an email uh, giving you a link to download that. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute to Fighting for the Faith, uh, you can make a one-time contribution by clicking on the Donate button or make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. I gotta warn you, this next segment is is almost loonier than what you just heard, so you've been warned. Take all the proper precautions, tinfoil pyramid hat, uh, bendy straws, padding duct tape. <clears throat> Here we go. Chief, mate, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. The Pinky, the Pinky and the Brain. Brain, 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 brain. Before each night is done, their plan will be unfurled by the dawning of the sun. They'll take over the world. The pinky and the brain, yes, pinky and the brain. The twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overthrow the earth. They're pinky, they're pinky and the brain, 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 brain. All right, that's our update music for when we're doing a new Apostolic Reformation update or any of the folks associated with it, including including uh, Cindy and Mike Jacobs. Now, the last time we heard from them, I think the last segment that we did, we were listening in on their video part one of How to Hear the Voice of God. And there was, <laughs> uh, well, not much in the way of practical <clears throat> knowledge that you can apply and so they've come out with part two of how to hear the voice of God. And let's see if uh, we got any practical steps as to how we can hear the voice of God from, well, Cindy and Mike Jacobs. Here we go. Hi, welcome to God Knows. This is going to be a great time where we talk. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> Every time I hear her say that, that that's the name of their program. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah, because uh, yeah, God knows. Talk about hearing the voice of God. Yeah, this is a wonderful series. I think a lot of people are going to find, they always talk about a light bulb coming on. Uh-huh. All of a sudden you understand something uh-huh. that you didn't understand. Yeah, every time I watch a video of you two, um, it's like light bulb break and it gets darker in the room. This is going to be a... a, a a series that is going to bring enlightenment to people uh, because this is going to show them how to work with God yeah. to bring about God's dreams for their lives. Into re- uh, what? So how to work with God in order to help you bring about God's dreams in your life? Hi. Reality. How exciting can yeah. you, could, yeah. could it possibly be? Yeah. yeah. In fact, Mike and I have been talking about some dreams that we've had on long-standing basis, you know, and we've been praying over some things that God had showed us 
Well, we have been married almost 40 years, uh-huh. 39 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, so what we're saying is it's time for dreams to live. Uh, what? It's time for dreams to live. Yeah, because this is biblical doctrine, right? But, you know, if you're going to see your dreams fulfilled, you're going to need to hear the voice of God all along the way. Oh, so I can't have my dreams fulfilled unless I hear the voice of God all along the way. How do other people then achieve their dreams? You know, for instance, like, you know, I haven't watched American Idol now for a couple of seasons, but I do recall that there were several people who've won American Idol, like the whole hill of beans. Um, They weren't. Christians, and yet somehow they were able to have their dreams fulfilled, all without hearing the voice of God, you know. And then, you know, I think about Tiger Woods. You know, you remember Tiger Woods? You know, he, he's, you know, maybe he might have a hot season this year or not. Who who knows? But, you know, he's apparently wanting to get remarried to his uh, ex-wife, and I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But uh, the point is this, is that Tiger Woods, I think, when he, from the time he was like a tyke, you know, a little guy, I mean, he was playing golf, and he, his dream was to, you know, be the best golfer in the world. And, you know, he's a Buddhist. And so um, I don't think he was hearing the voice. Of, do you think he was hearing the voice? Of, no, I don't think so. Um, so how did he achieve his dreams without all, all along the way hearing the voice of God? I'm curious. How is it that all these other people seem to be able to do it? Uh, but Christians can't. Hmm. And what passages are we referring to again here? You know, many people are in transition right now. And, yeah. and I, you know, I think I, I hate the T word transition. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The terrible word. You know, but you know, the truth is with some of the words the prophets are given right now, living in time of instability. You mean that group of prophets that we've already proven in past episodes have given false prophecies, therefore they're not true prophets they're false prophets according to the biblical standard of prophets those guys to be able to be successful in Mm -hmm. time of instability we're gonna have to learn how to live in transition Mm, yeah yeah because we're kind of going from transitions to transitions Uh but the good news is for us in the body of christ is we're going from glory to glory Mm -hmm. that's our transitions and god wants us to live in that place and he doesn't want us to go down he wants us to go up (laughs) oh man well let's talk a little bit about in fact we could say hearing god's voice is the key to success in your transition yeah and oh yeah wow that's deep yeah somebody tweet that out would you hearing the voice of god is the key to success in your transition hashtag buffoonery to prosper. Yes, You know absolutely. what I mean? It's like, how do you prosper when other people aren't prospering? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, how do you go up when other people are going down? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and I think some of you viewers, you're watching and you're saying, well, that's true. I need to know that. In fact, I feel like there's some people you have been not sleeping. Your hearts have been gripped with fear over your future. Yeah, if that's you, I hope you flip the channel because um, <laughs> this ain't going to help you. Over how you're going to pay your bills, over, you know, what you're going to do with the economy shaking or your business, business people. But I want to say to you, God's will is to bless you. Mm-hmm. God's will is to bless you. In fact, Isaiah 60, one of the passages God gave the prophets for this year. Isaiah 60, one of the passages God gave the false prophets. We've already determined that these are false prophets because they've given false prophecies. Talks about the camels coming, bringing wealth. Oh, no. 
Isaiah 60 talks about the camels coming. No context there. Um, yeah, the, read. If, by the way, if you want the context for this, start reading at the like the last five or six verses of chapter 59, and you'll see what's talking what it's talking about there. In, in chapter, in, if you read Isaiah chapter, I think 58 and 59, uh, 58 kind of talks about God's judgment of the people of Israel for their idolatry and is prophesying about their exile. And uh, and then there's a transition, and the end of 59, there's the promise of the Messiah, and then how God will bring the the people of all the nations to the light of Zion, yeah, and 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 the camels of Midian, which were in the in Israel's past were uh, camels that came against them in, of destruction. These were uh, militant. You think of uh, the story of uh, Gideon. Uh, where the Midianite camels, you know, uh, those guys came and ate up the land. It was a bad thing. Now they're going to bring wealth into the kingdom of God. You know, the, the, the wealth of the nations is going to come streaming into Zion. That's not a promise that camels are coming into your life, by the way. So, th- no, so you do not walk around the house or, you know, walk around work, you know, for instance, you know, don't put a, a slogan up at, oh man, somebody's going to do this. I know this is going to happen. <laughs> I just am, I'm hating this idea, but somebody, oh man, don't do this. You know, on your cubicle at work, don't print out a thing that says the camels are coming and then stick it on your cubicle wall, you know, as, as if somehow this has anything to do with you. Oh no, oh no. I just know somebody's going to do this and send me an Instagram photo. You can just tell what's, and I'm not even a prophet. And so, you know, we've been in the studio this morning. We've been singing, the camels are coming. Hooray, hooray. You know. (laughs) The camels are coming. Hooray, hooray. Oh, man. Because God wants to bring blessing to you. Apparently, he wants to bring camels to me. The only trouble with camels is sometimes they can see a little slow. You know, they say, you know, camels are mean. Have you ever ridden a camel? Seem like they kind of plod along. But, you know, you ought to get up in the morning and say, okay, my camels are on the caravan somewhere. Mm-hmm. God's sending the blessing my way. Absolutely. He's- oh, man. <laughs> my camels are in the caravan somewhere. <laughs> Apparently, they took my brain with them. Sending the promises my way. He's sending the fulfillment of what I need my way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so some sometimes because it delays, we lose heart and we yeah. think that God isn't going to do it. But let's talk. So, yeah, if your camel's late, I mean, you know, number one, they're pretty ornery critters. They're a little bit stubborn. They spit. And they've got really bad dental, you know, they got some dental issues too. So you got to be careful with that. And I've heard they've had really bad breath. But, you know, so if your camel, you know, maybe he's one of those guys, your camel got sidetracked. Um, you know, maybe he got tied up to the wrong caravan, you know. But don't worry, your camel's coming. More about how to hear the voice of God. And we've been uh, doing a, a little series on this second of the series that we're doing on God Knows on this. So we're going to review a little bit. Okay. Review, review is very important. Absolutely. Number one of our review points is, is what you are hearing scriptural? Mm-hmm. You know, is it in the B-I-B-L-E? Okay, so so if you receive a voice from God, you got to test it against the B-I-B-L-E. Well, if I need to test it against the B-I-B-L-E and it's scriptural, then wouldn't it make sense that the only thing I need is my Bible? And number two, the inward witness of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, the inward witness, right, yeah. 
So is that like the Mormon burning in the bosom? Do you describe an inward witness of the Spirit? Like, how is it for you, Mike, when you know you've heard? Yeah, please tell us. Let me give an example of a friend of ours. uh, Because a lot of you don't understand, this is really practical. Mm -hmm. God wants to bless you in amazing ways. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about camels Mm -hmm. coming. And you're going, (laughs) well, I don't know how you translate camels coming or provision coming. It's because you have the ability to hear God. Friend of ours who's an attorney. You know, by the way, since they took Isaiah 60 out of context and are saying that your camels are coming, (laughs) they've failed the first test. This isn't even scriptural because that's not what Isaiah 60 is saying. In Africa, uh, was talking to us one day, and he says, "You know, as, as I go through my practice, I try to hear God in the practical day to day, as I'm as I'm, you know, acting as an attorney." Mm-hmm. And he said, "One day, I was getting ready to go into court, mm-hmm. and this was a major lawsuit that my my client was involved in. Mm-hmm. And as I was praying over it, now this is important." He actually prayed and expected God to say something to him. Mm. And so as he was praying, the Lord the Lord knew his case better than he did. Right. The Lord said, okay, there are five points to this case. He's a great advocate. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Mike, it says he is. Yeah, know. You know. He's a great attorney. So this will be God the paralegal. And so he said, there are five points to this case. And, and the friend said, yes, you have five points to this case. He says, ignore the first four points. I only want you to focus on the fifth point. As you're doing your preparations, only point number five. So he said, okay. Notice he's not answering the question. The question to Mike was, what does it feel like for you when you received the inner spirit witness thing? Or, you know, so he prepared with point number five. So he goes into the courtroom and as they get up, you know, and. Yeah, here we go again. Not open Bible. Notice that's what's missing here. Uh, they're, they're giving their opening arguments. He said, Your Honor, I want to dispense with the first four points, and I'm only wanting to argue on the basis of point five. And the other attorney's jaws dropped to the table. Why? Because they hadn't prepared? all they had prepared for was points one through four. Wow. They hadn't even looked at point five. Wow. And he immediately won the case. Wow. Why? Because he listened to the voice of God. God was very practical. Now, the, the thing that is the key to this, I guess, is... Yeah, please, what's the key? You have to develop relationship mm-hmm. with... Uh, gonna... <laughs> None of this is actually teaching you how to hear the voice of God. Now, are you ready? I'm going to give you the one surefire way to hear the voice of God. Are you ready? Open your Bible, read it. That's it. There you go. Just, just read. Your, you you want to hear the voice of God? Read your Bible. That's all you got to do. And since Cindy and Mike Jacobs said that if you get these direct revelations, they have to be scriptural anyway, and then they proved they have no clue what scripture is about with this whole God's going to bring you camels and things like that. It's, <laughs> you don't want to be listening to folks like this. Open your Bible and read it. All God's word, every, all scripture, according to scripture, all scripture is theonoustos. It's God breathed. And that means, as Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that it's profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. You want to know what God's will is for you? Open your Bible.
you will discover what God's will is for you. And you'll also discover that you have a lot of freedom in choosing the things that you can do in your life. Um, yeah, because God doesn't micromanage in, in, that, in that sense. He, but anyway, that's, a, that's for like next week's uh, episode where we start getting into good works. But this is just crazy. And notice what was missing there? Oh, yeah, that would be an open Bible. So we got Patricia King talking about God wants to increase favor, and she starts telling her life stories. We got Mike and Sidney Jacobs talking about how God wants uh, how how to hear the voice of God, and all they end up doing was talking about their life experiences with a uh, out of context reference to Isaiah sixty and something about your camels are coming. I something tells me that Rob Bell's not going to do much better. What do you think? In fact, let's move along. yourself in a boat on a river with tangerine trees and marmalade skies it's our rob bell update music no clue what these lyrics mean Okay, yeah, I can't hit that note. All right, so uh, Rob Bell's latest book, uh, What We Talk About When We Talk About God, has hit the bookstores. And uh, Rob Bell has got a little bit of digital link as well as been making the rounds on some of the uh, television shows that all have their base out there in New York City. That's what you know publishers do. They send them on the book tour. Well, it's just making the tour from studio to studio, from Fox News to MSNBC to CNN, all, you know, all of the different uh, media outlets out there that are based in New York City. And so Rob Bell's been making the rounds, pitching his book. But let me read for you uh, a little bit of this particular news. News story that just hit before I came on the air today. Uh, this is from the Christian Post. The headline reads: Rob Bell talking about God can get ugly. Rob, so, this, so talking about God can get ugly. So let's see if Rob Bell makes a biblical argument here. <clears throat> this is by Stoyan Zymov of the uh, Christian Post. The uh, story reads. Christian author Rob Bell, the former pastor of Mars Hill Bible, Bible Church, admitted at a recent event in Nashville that talking about God can be tricky and, quote, get ugly. Quote, you have to do or believe or say the right stuff or it's going to get ugly. Uh, Love Wins best-selling author Bell said Thursday at Vanderbilt University Benton Chapel, quote, It is about who is in and who is out, who is right and who is wrong. Bell is currently one of the most talked about religious figures in America and has stirred wide debate for his views on the afterlife and questioning the belief that only Christians go to heaven and the belief in an eternal hell. Many have praised his attempts at trying to reinvigorate faith in America, but others have warned that he strides far from traditional views. Now, I'm going to pause right there here. Um, No, the issue with Rob Bell is not that he 
let's see, how do they put it? Strides far from traditional views. That see, that's not the problem. See, it's, you know, this isn't about tradition. No, this is, you know, this is not a fiddler on the roof moment where we're going to be up there going, tradition, yes, Rob Bell is bad because he's not into the tradition. Yeah, no, no, that's not what this is about. Okay, the issue is, is that Rob Bell has fallen far astride of the clear teachings of the written word of God. Now, let me point out the irony here of something else. Okay, backing up the the news story here, I want you to see if you can figure out the mm, hypocritical statement here. Okay, let me read it to you. Um, Quote, you have to do or believe or say the right stuff or it is going to get ugly. It's about who is in and who is out, who's right and who's wrong. Now, question for you. Do you think that Rob Bell thinks that he's right or that he's wrong? Think about it. Okay, Rob Bell obviously thinks he's right, right? Now, my question is this, is that if Rob Bell really is a Christian pastor and what he's teaching is really Christianity, why on earth does he sound nothing like what a Christian pastor is supposed to sound like or do? Now, I know that's kind of a weird way of putting it, but let me explain to you what I mean by that from what I would consider to be, well, the objective definitive source regarding what a pastor is supposed to be doing and sounding like, okay? That would be, well, God's word. Now, in in the New Testament, there are three letters, uh, otherwise known as epistles, that are called the pastoral epistles. This is First and Second Timothy in the book of Titus, the, the letter of Titus. And Titus, <clears throat> now, let's, as I read this to you, understand this, Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so this, well, this letter is Theonoustos, Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he lays out the qualifications for pastors and elders within the church, okay? So ask yourself this, who does the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sound like? Does he sound like Rob Bell, or does he sound like Rob Bell's nemesis? You know, that's probably a better way of putting it, okay? I mean, because see if things get ugly here. Uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, has his children are believers, and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach, he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but he must be hospitable, a lover of the good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined, and he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So, okay, I'm going to go back to the statement that Rob Bell made here. Hang on a second here. Um, okay, so Rob Bell says, if you talk about God, it can get tricky and get ugly. That's a direct quote. Quote, get ugly. Quote, you have to do or believe the right stuff or it's going to get ugly. Okay, and quote, it's about who's in, who's out, who's right, and who's wrong. Okay, yeah, it's weird that he's making that argument because here the Apostle Paul says a, you know, a pastor, an elder in the church, must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught. Not just as you make it up, but as it's taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Not just any old doctrine, whatever you want to, but sound doctrine. Hmm. Okay. Um, and then also rebuke those who contradict it. So Paul's here is encouraging pastors to get ugly. 
uh, with people who are teaching contrary to the clear word of God. And then he goes on to say this. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, and they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Well, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. So this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they may be found uh, sound in the faith and not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Huh. Yeah, see, the Apostle Paul, who... Um, was a, an actual eyewitness to the bodily resurrection of Jesus, he doesn't sound anything like Rob Bell. He sounds like the opposite of Rob Bell. But if Rob Bell's really a Christian pastor and what he's really representing is Christianity, then why does he sound nothing like the Apostle Paul? And the Apostle Paul wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So I say, why does he sound nothing like what the Holy Spirit revealed through the Apostle Paul regarding what a pastor is supposed to sound like? Because here he's just belly aching. You know, you know, if you you know, talking about God can be tricky or quote get ugly. And you know, uh huh, uh huh. He says, and you, you have to you have to do or believe or say the right stuff, or it's going to get ugly. Well, that's what the Bible says. If you don't say the right things about God. It's supposed to get ugly, especially from Christian pastors who are under orders from God the Holy Spirit to make it get ugly and get in your face and rebuke you when you teach false doctrine. <sighs> anyway, I just wanted to point that little point out. But I also have set up for you here, um, I want to, to listen to a little bit of a Rob Bell interview that he did on CNN's Morning Joe uh, television program earlier this week and see if um, Rob Bell is making biblical arguments or is he just talking well kind of like patricia king cindy jacobs um you know it's just any old stuff that comes to his mind and life experiences and then just slapping it on to god listen in here with us now best-selling author and founding pastor of the mars hill bible megachurch pastor rob bell he's out with his latest book what we talk about when we talk about god you know mike um i know you were our resident you and meacham resident theologian that's correct and i i know uh that i can ask you this question the answer will be zero how many how many books about god begin with a quote from Tom Waits. <laughs> oh, I would say Any less book. than zero. Less than zero. Tom Listen Waits. to this quote, the great Tom Waits. Like all, like all great things in the world, women and religion and the sky, you wonder about it, and you don't stop wondering about it. So there you go. Rob, thank you so much for being with us. You, you say that uh, you talk about how... So Rob Bell's book starts with a quote from Waits. Got it. Not a Bible passage, not Jesus, not uh, so that should tell you something about where this theology comes from. God doesn't come up much in culture, but when it does, a lot of times the preconception, the religion, yeah, yeah. not only gets in the way, but does harm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so when talk about God comes, religion gets in the way and causes harm. I would say false religion does. Well, I think what you have now... And you have this unique time and sort of culture. You have a lot of people who have a sense that there's more going on here. Mm -hmm. So your kid is born, or you're out in nature and you see something overwhelmingly beautiful, or you have a meal with your friends and you have the sense, like, 
this can't be all there is. And there are very popular voices that say, this is it. You are a random collection of neurons, atoms, and synapses. Right. That doesn't work for a lot of people. It leaves them, I talk about in the book, cold, bored, and uninspired. So you go looking for explanations for this something more. Jane Fonda, and always quote Jane Fonda when you're talking about religion. Yeah, that's great. She says, in the book I talk about how she says, <laughs> she's asked about, you know, how, why did you become a person of faith? And she says, because I could, I could sense reverence humming in me. So they give a lot of people. Who- mm, yeah, yeah. Jane Fonda, that uh, prophet, she could sense reverence humming within her. Um. Yeah. Um. What's the source of all of this again? This. Well. Yeah. It has nothing to do with what the Bible actually says. Okay. Who have this sense of reverence humming in them. And so the denial, like, we're all, this is just a random collection of biology Adams, doesn't work. DNA. Then you go looking for an explanation, and you get the God who's like Oldsmobile. Who's <laughs> like, was, what, that was nice back then, but come on, we have science, we have technology, we have iPhones. And there we go with the Oldsmobile metaphor. So, yeah, we got, you know, the... Yeah, the, the last thing you want is like a 1980s version of Christianity. I mean... Oh, you know, when they still talked about sin and the cross and the forgiveness of sin and penals. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, you start talking about God like that. I mean, that's the Oldsmobile God, and you could hurt people with that, apparently. So, in this book, I'm trying to address are there ways to talk about this reverence? The word we use for that is God, that don't feel like a giant step backwards. It's like a branding makeover, kind of. <laughs> I mean, wow. it's like. Yeah, so it's like a branding makeover. So Rob Bell's offering a branding makeover of God. You know what we could do? We could probably put together a, a, a reality TV show hosted by Rob Bell called Pimp My God. I mean, wouldn't that be great? I mean, you can trade in your uh, your old Oldsmobile God and, and he'll do a complete total makeover of your deity for you, just like right on the spot, and give you one that's like hip happening and hopping and right now that's not going to feel like a step backwards. Yes, that's right. Rob Bell and his new TV series, Pimp My God. I don't know <laughs> that's if pretty good, God right? needs my help and that sort of thing, but... Positioning, let's say, something yeah. like that. Was well, it's actually... To be, to be a rebranding? Or what, why? No, why did you flip That's it? actually language, that's actually language we use now. Yeah. Yeah, we're rebranding God. Uh-huh. I, people have been doing it's a good this. Thing. Part of the reason people have been doing this for thousands of years. So maybe we give him a new logo, you know, because you know, the cross has been his logo for a long time. You know, maybe we could, you know, come up with like you know, the coexist logo, you know, with all the different things. It, yeah, we could just totally rebrand God and give him a new logo and everything. And this is this is one of our jobs as humans is we ask big questions. That's what we do. Dude. And any faith that's worth anything should have lots of room for doubt and struggle and questions and even saying we used to think that way now we don't oh yeah yeah so yeah we used to think you know that the bible is the inspired and errant word of god and profitable for teaching correcting rebuking yeah but we don't think that way anymore we used to think that you know god created the world in six days but now we don't we used to think that christ was our penal substitute but now you know we move beyond that uh, yeah, we used to think that, you know, you know, uh, homosexuality is a sin, but we move beyond that now. We used to think that, you know, there was a place called heaven and that there was a thing called eternal uh, punishment. Uh, we 
we've moved beyond. We've rethunk. We've rebranded God. We've, wow, man, this new God, he's amazing. In fact, he's made of silicon, too. That's a weird thing. And he's got a white, well, no, he actually has a trimmed beard. The, you know, the long, flowing white beard, that just wasn't cutting it anymore. And now he wears Birkenstocks and and uh, and one of those Indian moo-moo things. Weird. You, you, you've used the word at least four or five times now in the space of a minute and a half. Define reverence. What, what, what is this reverence that Jane Fonda alluded to? Yeah, right. Yeah, so here we got the resident theologian over there at the Mor- Morning Joe uh, television show, and he, he's noticed something about Rob Bell. It's like he uses words funny. And so he's asking for a, a clarification and a definition because he's noticing there's some postmodern fuzziness in the definitions of the words that he's using. So he's trying to pin Rob down on a definition. Let's see if Rob plays along. Talking about. In the book, I define it as the sense that a thing is what it is, and yet it points to something beyond itself. So you have a great meal with friends. and one of- Boy, that's a useful definition, isn't it? What's reverence? Well, reverence is a thing is what it is, and it points beyond itself. <laughs> what dictionary were you using for that, Rob? The words we use is, oh, you say to the, to the host, that was transcendent. I've never said that. Yeah, transcendent doesn't seem to be a word that you would use after having a dinner at a friend's house. <laughs> and Rob Bell looks kind of flustered here. What, you never use that? Oh, every time I go to a friend's house and we have dinner, I, I say, oh, that was transcendent. <sighs> dinner party. You may have talked about your soul soaring. You, you may have talked about how that thing took you higher. We uh-huh. have, I mean, it's very... <laughs> you can't see this. But the, the resident theologian there at the Morning Joe... <laughs> Yeah, he's he's looking at Rob Bell like, what are you talking about? Sort of metaphorical, mythical mm-hmm. language. But essentially, we have the sense that there is this thing in front of us, this experience, and yet it seems to take us so, higher, farther. So beyond. I want to talk about this branding thing because I'm actually talking about it to the Republican Party a good bit. I, I actually <laughs> gave a talk to Republicans, and I got the nastiest, you know, you are you know, going after me because... I try to discourage Republicans from openly antagonizing voters. Whether we're talking about a party or God or selling french fries, right? You, it doesn't matter if McDonald's makes the best french fries. If somebody screams at me every time I order french fries from McDonald's, I'm going to go to Burger King. You actually, with your last book, Love Wins had a separation from some people, some traditionalists, because you said, hey. No, 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 no. See, again, it's traditionalists. That is absolutely not true, okay? I'm not a traditionalist, okay? I define tradition the way Jesus defined it. If you if you know what I'm talking about, look this up in the Gospels, where Jesus talks to, you know, basically rebukes the Pharisees and says to them, because they're a tradition, um, that, that they were traditionalists. And you know what a traditionalist is according to Jesus? One who teaches as the doctrines of God, the doctrines of men. That's what a traditionalist is. So I, I, I are not a traditionalist. Yeah, bad language on purpose there. Um, not at all. According to Jesus's definition of what a traditionalist is, a traditionalist is somebody who teaches the doctrines of human beings as if those are the doctrines of men. Therefore, um, somebody who would hold to the biblical teaching regarding eternal punishment, 
heaven, you know, heaven and hell, the penal substitution, uh, that Christianity, that Jesus is the only way of salvation. They are not traditionalists. They are not. Those are called biblical Christians who hold to the clear teaching of the word of God. Got it? Traditionalists are those who hold to as the teachings of God, things that actually have their origin in the minds of men. In other words, Rob Bell, the the one being interviewed there on the Morning Joe uh, television program, he's the traditionalist, using the biblical definition of the term. We've got to put a smile on our face. We have to give a more congenial view of God and religion. In fact, not telling people to fudge on the big issues, but just to say, we need to figure out a way to approach this. Because, you know, for most people, and I always say... You know, the break really came in the late 80s, early 90s. We had all the televangelists yeah. blowing up. And yeah. there was a hardening and a coarsening of, of what people believed in faith, what people believed in, in the teachings of Jesus Christ. So much of it just got crowded out. Yeah, well, well, think about your own life and how you grow and change and become a better person. Is it because somebody scared the hell out of you? or shamed you or condemned you, or is it because somebody gave you a vision of a better way to live? And believed in you. And it created in you a desire. A friend of mine talks about a desire, a hunger for something you previously didn't know you were hungry for. Right. So who here does, wouldn't love more insight on how to be, have less worry, or to be more forgiving, or to be more generous? I mean, that's, to me, at the heart of faith is a vision of a better kind of it's, life. It's and a hard message, though, it. for you're some pulled. people, though. I mean, you, you, you actually, there were some people that didn't appreciate your message and love wins. Yeah, see, here's the issue, is that Rob Bell wants the, the fruit of the Spirit without, well, the hard edges that go along with that. For instance, okay, you don't get to experience the fruit of the Spirit in your life until you were brought to penitent faith and trust in a crucified and risen Jesus who was pierced for your transgressions, bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, Rob Bell just wants the the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, uh, self-control, and things like that. But he doesn't want the other stuff. So he basically, just give me the, the lovey-dovey fruits of the Spirit, but I'll, I, I don't like this idea that Jesus is the only way and that there's this thing called hell and stuff like that. Just I want the positive stuff without all the negative. So I'm going to basically have a smorgasbord uh, Christianity that focuses on the parts that I really, that really, well, resonate and hum with the reverence within me, but have nothing to do with what the Bible actually says. There are people who haven't appreciated my message from way back. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, if you go all the way back, like in, I come from the Christian tradition. I mean, Jesus is put on the cross by very religious people who are threatened because an entire system he is calling into question. So this. Oh yeah. So yeah. See, in other words, Ron Bell, he's just like Jesus, calling into question the entire religious system of the Pharisees. You see. It, that's how that works. And so if, if you don't like Rob Bell, it's just because, well, you're threatened by the fact that he's Jesus. This is actually nothing new. Do, do you believe in uh, heaven and a hell and an afterlife? I do. Watch the answer to this. This is going to be a classic Rob Bell evasion. I do. I do. And, and I begin with a belief that right now the choices we make have serious implications. I mean, we're creating hells on earth right now. 800 million people don't have access to clean drinking water. I mean, we have 
across the spectrum as humans. Um, I begin with Jesus' call that how you live now creates a certain sort of heaven on earth right here. I don't even have to look past death for that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I, I was... Uh... Uh, uh, my pastor a couple of weeks ago uh, said something that along those lines said, yeah. don't wait yeah. for Judgment Day because guess what? <laughs> it's for already millions here. <laughs> and millions of people, right. Judgment Day yes. happens every day. What are you doing yes. to help people in yeah. their struggles? Yeah, right. well said. Yeah. Well, the book is what we talk about when we talk about God. I think we try. Apparently, we don't talk about what Scripture says. We just talk about what Rob Bell thinks is humming with reverence. I had to figure that out. Thanks, Jane Fonda, for that wonderful new quote for Rob Bell. Right here. Rob Bell, thank you. Thank you, Rob. Yeah, there we go. So that was uh, Rob Bell's uh, interview on the MSNBC Morning Joe program talking about his book, What We Talk About When We Talk About God. And notice the source for all of Rob Bell's ideas. It wasn't the Bible. No, like far from it. In fact, he's got all these wonderful ideas that we can rebrand God. And like I said, you know, we can maybe put a, a, a reality TV show together called Pimp My God, where Rob Bell can do a total deity makeover um, and, 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 you know, and get rid of the old, you know, that old Oldsmobile God, you know, and give you a bright and shiny new deity who, well, is more in step with the times and, and doesn't have any negative messages, only positive, you know, vision for making your life better. Yeah, um, go ahead and, you know, believe in that deity if you want to. The problem is, is that that isn't the real God, and that's not Christianity. That's not what the scripture says, and really, that's not what Jesus taught either. So you can believe in that God, but he doesn't exist. That's basically a made-up God, a pretend, uh, pretend Jesus, you know, like Harvey the Rabbit, um, and, well, that Jesus can't save you. In fact, uh, he won't be there on the day of judgment. The real Jesus will. And he'll say to you, depart from me, I never knew you, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and all of his angels. Something to consider. All right, quick break. When we come back, we have, we're have we going to end off the week with a fantastic Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley sermon. Don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. We will be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... Listening to Byron Christian Radio. <laughs> the spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner, and the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, 
we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. I just doing, you might ask? Well, I just conquered the outer rim planet of Pico Pond with my trusty double-barreled nuclear plasma cannon. Well, I just did in this video game. But how is it possible for someone like myself to play 13 hours straight and not get a headache? It's quite simple, really. It's because I wear gunners. When I'm rocking these babies, I'm unstoppable. They're not limited to just games, mind you. Oh, no! I rock the spreadsheet, the PowerPoint, the word processor, and when that's all done, I hop my T-16 and fry me some toasters. If you want to get in on the action, then head over to piratechristianradio.com forward slash gunners. You gotta see it to believe it. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon time. Not even gonna review. We're just gonna play it. It's gonna. We're gonna end with a good sermon this week from across the pond, out there at Hanley Stoke on Trent in the United Kingdom. Gentleman, scholar, pastor, Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. Let's do this right. Here at Fighting for the Faith, we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Bethel Evangelical Free Church, Hanley, Stoke-on-Trent in the United Kingdom. Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley presiding. The name of the sermon is entitled Worldly Religion. Worldly Religion. The text that forms the basis of his sermon is 2 Kings chapter 17 verses 24 through 41. You can open your Bible if you like, but you will notice Pastor Charmley engages in good biblical preaching practice. And what I mean by that is, is that he, well, reads the biblical text prior to exegeting it. He reads it first, then he helps you understand what it is that God the Holy Spirit has penned here and why this is important for us to listen to it, take heed of it, learn from it, and in some cases apply it. Not always. Not every biblical text has an application. I think this one might, though. So without any further ado, let me kill the music here. Here is Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley and his sermon entitled, Worldly Religion. 
Our scripture reading this evening is taken from the second book of the Kings and chapter 17. Second Kings chapter 17. This book, of course, is the account of the kingdoms of Israel and of Judah, the kingdoms of the Lord's people in the Promised Land. So 2 Kings chapter 17 In the twelfth year of Ahaz king of Judah Hoshea the son of Eli became king of Israel in Samaria and he reigned nine years and he did evil in the sight of the Lord but not as the kings of Israel who were before him Shalmaneser king of Assyria came up against him and Hoshea became his vassal and paid him tribute money and the king of Assyria uncovered a conspiracy by Hoshea. For he had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, and brought no tribute to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Now the king of Assyria went throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carry Israel away to Assyria, and place them in Hala, and by the harbour, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, but brought them up out of the land of Egypt, from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods. And walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel, and of the kings of Israel, which they had made. Also the children of Israel secreted against the Lord their God things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their cities, from watchtower to a fortified city. They set up for themselves sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. There they burned incense on all the high places, like the nations whom the Lord had carried away before them and they did wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. For they served idols, of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all of his prophets, every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes, according to all the laws which I commanded your fathers, and which I sent to you by my servants the prophets. Nevertheless they would not hear, but stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers, who did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers, and his testimonies which he had testified against them. They followed idols, became idolaters, and went after the nations who were all around them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God, made themselves a molded image and two calves, made a wooden image and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practiced witchcraft and soothsaying, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel, and removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. 
Also Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel which they made. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them, and delivered them into the hand of plunderers, until he had cast them from his sight. For he tore Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel from, from following the Lord, and made them commit a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam which he did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants the prophets. So Israel was carried away from their place, from their own land to Assyria, as it is to this day. Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kuthar, Ava, Hamath, and from Sepharvim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. They took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. And it was so at the beginning of their dwelling there that they did not fear the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them which killed some of them. So they spoke to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations whom you have removed and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Therefore he has sent lions among them. And indeed they are killing them, because they do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Send there one of the priests whom you brought from there. Let him go and dwell there, and let him teach them the rituals of the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel, and taught them how they should fear the Lord. However, every nation continued to make gods of its own, and put them in the shrines on the high places which the Samaritans had made, every nation in the cities where they dwelt. The men of Babylon made Sukkot Benot, the men of Kuth made Nergal, the men of Hamath made Ashima, and the Avites made Nibaz and Tartak, and the Sephavites burned their children in fire to Adramalech and Anamalech, the gods of Sephavim. So they feared the Lord, and from every class they appointed for themselves priests of the high places, who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. They feared the Lord, yet served their own gods, according to the rituals of the nations from, who, from among whom they were carried away. To this day they continue practicing the former rituals. They do not fear the Lord, nor do they follow their statutes, or their ordinances, or the law and commandment which the Lord had commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel with whom the Lord had made a covenant, and charged them, saying, You shall not fear other gods, nor bow down to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice them. But the Lord brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and outstretched arm. Him you shall fear, him you shall worship, and to him you shall offer sacrifice. And the statutes, the ordinances, the law, and the commandment which he wrote for you, you shall be careful to observe forever. You shall not fear other gods. And the covenant that I have made with you, you shall not forget, nor shall you fear other gods. But the Lord your God you shall fear, and he will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. However, they did not obey, but they followed their former rituals. 
So these nations fear the Lord, yet serve their carved images. Also their children and their children's children have continued doing as their fathers did, even to this day. We trust God to bless this solemn portion of his holy word. The text this evening is taken from the chapter that we read, 2 Kings chapter 17 and verse 33. They feared the Lord, yet served their own gods. What a contradiction it is as a text. And of course we miss the point, if we miss that this is deeply ironic as a statement that our historian, our prophetic writer here is saying not in all seriousness they feared the Lord and served, yet served their own gods he is saying it in deep irony for how can you serve the Lord how can you fear the Lord and serve other gods it is impossible and that of course is the whole point Israel is gone out of the land we are not to think that every single Israelite was rounded up and deported, but we are to realize that the vast majority were, and those who were left quickly lost their identity. Just as when we look at the history of this land, those who were conquered by the Normans who we regard as Anglo-Saxons most of them were descended from those who would have called themselves Romano-British back under the Romans and yet they had lost their identity they had gone after these other gods and no longer saw themselves as what they had been and so it was with those few Israelites who remained in the land they had lost their identity And we have here this sorry mixture of worship of God and worship of false gods. And yet, of course, this mixture is so common. You see, the problem with the world is not so much that they will not worship the true God as they will not worship him alone and so men go after all sorts of other gods particularly of course in our current age men are not saying to us as believers oh you must worship other gods but they are saying how dare you say that the Muslims, the Sikhs, the Hindus and so on and so forth are wrong because what is the great scandal is this but we declare there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved than the name of Jesus and so we see here first of all God's warning to these pagan settlers secondly we see the worldliness of their religion and thirdly we see what true worship really depends upon so we have warning worldliness and worship and first we have the warning these pagan settlers were brought in as part of the Assyrians 
strategy because the Assyrians said if we take these ethnic groups in our empire and we split them up and we send them away from the land where they have lived and put them in other parts of the empire then they will be dependent upon us because we are destroying their identity something similar was done by Stalin in the Soviet Union and the idea is one that is taken by many a tyrant you destroy the identity of the nation and therefore they are more dependent upon you for a new identity it has been my, my privilege to meet a number of people from various parts of the, land, of the world over the years including people from the country of Moldova and Moldova when it became independent which a lot of us thought we didn't know there was such a nation we didn't know there was such a thing because again it had been swallowed up by other nations and when it became independent initially the people who lived there had this great identity crisis who are we? are we Romanians? what are we? well it's the same here that you take these people from Babylon Kuthar Arva, Hamath, Sephardim bring them all together and they ask who are we? what are we? and they become the Samaritans people who were part Jew part something else and of course being pagans they come with their own religions part of what made a nation in those days was the gods that they worshipped and they come with their various religions and being pagans they have gods many and lords many because that's what pagans have and they arrive with no thought at all for the God of Israel Israel has ceased to exist as a nation there is Judah but Israel no longer exists as a nation the leaders have been taken away to Assyria most of the rest of the people of the land have been resettled in other parts of the Assyrian Empire there to lose their identity Israel no longer exists and so of course these pagan settlers gave no thought to the God of Israel because Israel no longer existed and yet of course God still existed because whereas the gods of the nations were dependent upon the nations to call upon their names because they, they did not exist because the false gods are the creation of their worshippers then when the worship ceases there is nothing left the idol becomes something that men gaze upon in a museum if you ever been to the British Museum you can go down gallery after gallery and gaze upon the images of these various gods of the nations and they are simply images in a museum they are nothing the religion the priests they have all gone and these gods have no real existence but of course the true God 
exists whether people worship him or not. And so God, the Lord, sent lions among them which killed some of them. God sends his warning because he is whether his people worship him or not. Whether people acknowledge God or not, he exists and he is over all. We look at the vast numbers of people who do not worship the true God. And the amazing thing is that he is still their king, their lord. We talk sometimes about people making Jesus their lord and saviour. We know what we mean by that. But what we really mean is confessing him as lord. Because Jesus is Lord whether we like it or not. Jesus is Lord whether men have heard of him or not. Because God is. And so these people were shocked by these lions attacking them. And yet, we read, the reason we read the whole chapter is that we read about how God called upon the nations how God called upon Israel again and again he testified against Israel and against Judah by all of his servants the prophets sending them day by day sending them again and again and what? they ignored him they ignored his warning and yet these pagans these godless heathen when God sent lions among them they cried out we need someone to tell us about the God of this land how they how they rebuke those Israelites who knew the truth these people knew nothing about God but they knew that there was something going on and they knew that there was some divine, supernatural power. And so they say, what shall we do? We will do what every pagan would do. We need a priest. We need someone to tell us how to worship the God of the land. Their theology was wrong. Their theology was very wrong. But... They knew there was some need to seek the word of God. And yet, of course, the great tragedy is that what they got was one of the priests of Israel. One of the priests of the golden calves, a priest whose religion was the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who called, who made Israel sin. And we see then the worldliness. They heeded the warning, but we see the worldliness of their actual religion. Worldliness, you see, is an attitude. It's not a matter of these things are worldly, there are many things you can say these things are utterly worldly but the reason they're worldly is because of the spirit that pervades them 
worldliness is an attitude. Even as sin is not simply a list of things that we do wrong, but an attitude toward God, out of which spring all the various sins that men commit. Worldliness is an attitude. An attitude that keep of mind that is fixed upon this world, this here and now. And sees this world as what is supremely important. An attitude that asks, how can I get on in life? And does not ask, how can I be right with God? Does not ask, where shall I spend eternity? But is fixed upon the here and the now. And that is worldliness. And worldliness is most lethal in the field of religion. That is, when it comes to our relationship with God. Worldly religion, you see, is pragmatic. It asks the question, what works? And therefore it changes from age to age because what works in every age is different. And what do you mean by works anyway? For people say, well what works of course is what gets the people in. Ah, but why are they in? I was reading this afternoon the history of Methodism in the Channel Islands. The author was, this is from the 1950s, the author was reflecting why was it that the Channel Islands saw this decline in Methodism in the 20th century. And he brings up all these things that people did. Oh yes, we must have a more bright and breezy service, they said. We must have a more popular style of music, they said. This is 1950s, mind you, this is not the 1990s. Oh, we must get popular personalities in. Celebrities, Christian celebrities. And that will bring people in... 1950s, mind you, talking about the 1920s. And he said, yes, they got the people in, but the problem was they got the people in seeking to be entertained. They got the people in, but the people weren't interested in hearing the word of God. They were interested in hearing the music, in hearing the celebrities in seeing the film stars or whatever. And they stayed as long as they had the excitement and the entertainment. When the entertainment was gone, the people were gone. Now worldly religion thinks like that. How can we bring the people in? Does not ask that most important question. How can we bring the people to God? How can we bring Christ to the people? How can we bring them the word of God? How can we bring people to heaven, to salvation? Worldly religion doesn't think about that. And so worldly religion says, let us tell people things that they will find exciting here and now. Let us tell people how to have your best life now 
whenever I hear the title of that best-selling religious book, mind you, I cringe your best life now. Brethren, if you are having your best life now, you are lost and headed to hell. Your best life, my best life, is in the world to come, not the world that is here now. Your best life must be in the world to come if you are a Christian. Your best life now indeed. And that's worldly religion, your best life now. And so worldly religion has its many forms. And very often it comes down just as with these people. We need to know the ritual the technique, the thing to do, whether it is a technique for living or a technique for worship. Worldly religion always comes down to technique, to a ritual, to do this and therefore that will happen. And all of it ends in God and it's all a matter of this is how to have God and something. C.S. Lewis in his wonderful book, The Screwtape Letters, is written from the point of view of a senior demon giving advice to a junior demon on how to keep a young man from Christ. One of the things that this senior demon says in the book is let him have Christianity and Jesus and no Jesus only see Jesus and always means they feared the Lord oh they said they did they made a profession they went to church they feared the Lord yet served their own gods the Lord wasn't their Lord you see he is Lord whether we admit it or not but their gods were the others that they served the gods they really loved were these various false deities that are named in verses 30 and 31 the men of Babylon had Sukkot Benot the men of Kuth made Nergal isn't it wonderful how our author here says they made these gods for themselves because that is what idolaters always do it's what paganism always does they made their gods for themselves and they served them and worshipped them and they did not really fear the Lord and therefore verse 34 our author says they do not fear the Lord Worldly religion doesn't really fear the Lord. If God is simply a, a way for me to get on in the world, to have a better career, my best life now, you don't really fear God. We come to God on His terms, not ours. And on terms of eternity, and not now. And so we come to the final point of worship. There is only, after all, one God, the Lord. And we see verses 35 to 39, God lays out who he really is. 
You shall not fear other gods. Nothing to do with all the gods of the nations, all the things that other people worship, but there is but one God who speaks. The Lord speaks. Sukkot Benot, Nergal, Ashima, Nibaz, Tartak, Adramelech and Anamelech. Men made them and they say nothing. They do not exist, there can be no voice, no word from them. But God speaks, our God is in the heavens, he has done whatever he pleases. He speaks, he is there and he is not silent. God in time past spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God reveals himself in his fullest glory that we can bear in Jesus. And he has given us the book, the Bible. He has spoken. He speaks. Despite all that the world can do, he speaks. And he delivers. The Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt. God is a saviour. Egypt was a place of slavery and servitude where God's people had been pressed into service. Into slavery. God himself delivered them. They could do absolutely nothing. They could not deliver themselves. They were not even really willing to do anything to deliver themselves. To be put through any bother at all. And yet God sent his son what the law could not do. The law, you remember, always says do this and live. What the law could not do and it was weak through the flesh because the flesh could not do. God did. Sending his son to die for us. A greater deliverance than Egypt. To deliver you and me from our sins. From serving all the various other gods that men make for themselves. That we had made for ourselves. He sent his son to redeem us. From what the apostle Peter calls the vain way of life handed down from your forefathers not the former rituals not the gods of the land from which we have been brought out but God himself who delivers us and God delivered his people from Egypt that is another part to it is that not he delivered them into the promised land Salvation is not only from sin, but for God and unto not a promised land that can be taken away, but to an inheritance that does not spoil or fade and does not fade away. An inheritance that is eternal, even the inheritance of heaven itself. And of eternal life with Christ. He delivers by his own 
giving of himself. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And so we worship him. Because he has done all for us. He is the one who gives all, who most of all gives us himself. He made us. The men of Babylon made Sukkot Benot. The men of Koth made Nergal. The men of Hamath made Ashima and so on. But God made us. God made you and me to his glory and praise. And gave up his son that we through him might be saved. And we look at these pagans, we look at the world, and we ask the great question, who is it makes you to differ? Who is it? Or as the hymn writer asks, why was I made to hear thy voice and enter while there's room? While others make a wretched choice and rather starve than come. Is it that we were smarter? Oh no, twas the same love that spread the feast that sweetly forced us in. Else we had still refused to taste and perished in our sin. Tis grace and grace alone. Religion matters. And that, of course, goes completely against the whole grain of our modern society that says it doesn't really matter what you believe, no, it matters ultimately. God warns. He says, you shall have no other gods but me. And he points to the judgments that come upon the earth and says, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Man, as long as he looks at religion as something worldly, as something he does, is always wrong. Self-centered religion is always worldly. Because it says, what does God do for me? In this world, in this life, not what has God done in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. How does God meet my felt needs? Ah, the wonder is he meets our great unfelt need of eternal salvation. And he is the God who speaks and who saves in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Calls us daily to turn to come to Christ, to receive of him and to walk in that way everlasting in which he shall guide his people till we come to that eternal inheritance the new heavens and earth that ultimate promised land where we shall be forever with the Lord Amen Amen So what do you think? love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till next week, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>